The uh, title for the uh, evening talk is The Buddha as a Psychotherapist. (laughs) (laughs) The response may have to be edited out later at a later date. I shall do my very best to give this talk without uh, trying to be defensive. Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, When I was uh, a monk, um, the Ajahn, Ajahn means teacher, Ajahn Damodaro, he once uh, uh, said to us that in his time in uh, solitude, uh, this was for a three-year period, and sometimes he would uh, take uh, his uh, rest at night and he'd find himself quite naturally, uh, he said, reflecting uh, on, the Buddha, on the Buddha's life. And of course, being brought up as a Buddhist, in a Buddhist family, in a Buddhist country, and so all of those uh, years of association. And he found himself, he said, sometimes the tears would be flowing out of his pillow, out of his eyes onto his pillow. And it was of a single statement that the Buddha had said. And the statement was, I declare that there is suffering in this world, and I declare that there is the resolution to it. And this statement, a classical statement, in which the Buddha spent uh, 45 years from the age of 35 until the age of uh, 80, was singularly concentrated on this concern and no other concern. The outcome of all of that, of course, was uh, a way of recording and keeping the teachings through an oral tradition in which the easiest and most effective way of um, uh, remembering was through the establishing of small groups of in order to easily facilitate the continuity of the recollection and the practice, namely Four Noble Truths as the core teaching. There is suffering in this world, this suffering arises through conditions, there is the cessation of it, the liberation, and there is uh, the way to that liberation, the uh, Noble Eightfold Path. That, in other words, a reminder to each and every human being to genuinely investigate and to inquire and to look into every aspect and area of one's life. And the various other groups which give support uh, to that, of which there are many, five powers of mind, four foundations of awareness, three characteristics of existence, the the, uh, three jewels that make a person's life, the seven factors of enlightenment, the four types of noble ones, the four deep absorptions, the four formless experiences, uh, the the four divine expressions from the heart, etc., etc. And so men and women applying and practicing these teachings uh, listened to the small groups, saw the great breadth and depth uh, of them, and in various ways endeavored to apply and to put them into their life uh, experience And out of that came noble realizations and quite remarkable 
and exceptional discoveries about the nature of existence and what it means to live in this world of heart, mind, body and consciousness. And so in that respect, and in a very important and in a very healthy uh, respect, that tradition of suffering and its resolution as a primary activity of life, a primary uh, duty uh, of, of life, is carried on through humanity for centuries. Sometimes, of course, very specifically connected with the Buddhist uh, form, Buddhist teachings, in the way that we uh, have been exploring over the days here, endeavouring to the spirit and to the letter to keep truly faithful to this body of teachings as it's passed uh, through the generations. And others in various uh, ways, and that was certainly made abundantly clear this afternoon in the uh, sharing that took place and the go-around during the afternoon, how many of you in, in your very way of living in, in this world do and are committed to recognizing where there's problems and difficulties, areas which need to be, as the Buddha said, cultivated, he said, developed and brought to fulfillment. And therefore, in various aspirations, various areas of questioning and work and skills and creativity, uh, forms and manifestations to what? To bring human beings to fulfillment and therefore, along the way of doing that, actually to resolve problems that arise which impede that sense of being a in living a fulfilled life. In uh, all of that, the teachings and uh, have, in terms of the recorded aspect of them, make up some 20 volumes of, of, of texts. And therefore, there is a genuine endeavour to embrace and explore countless features of what it is to be alive on this earth. And to some of us, uh, these texts not only serve as a manual for practice but also a great resource for teachers in terms of uh, teachings as well and uh, Jada has spent, if I may say uh, a lot of time um, going through the text in the uh, last uh, two or three years and just distilling some of the um, uh, uh, essence uh, of the text and some of you know and I want to touch a little bit on this this evening with you that relationship, which is an area of other fields, which have some complement or some corresponding similarity. And of course there are similarities. The primary one and the major one, similarity of resolving problems and, and uh, difficulties. One of the features of Dharma teachings, and it's a very, very important uh, feature uh, of it, is that genuine happiness uh, in life and wisdom in life does require from, from us an attendance, as I mentioned, to every area of our life. And sometimes we neglect other areas because we can't quite see the significance or the depth of importance that goes uh, with it. And that means if we're looking at our life honestly and, uh, and uh, directly, it one sees the teachings called the Dharma, and one thing that goes with the Dharma is the Vinaya, V-I-N-A-Y-A, which means discipline. Discipline, disciple, disciple to the truth, discipline to know the truth of things. And the Vinaya, as, uh, meaning discipline, 
means where in our life do we find ways and means in all sorts of areas of our life to exercise a discipline. And the exercising of the disciplines uh, in, the, in the Dharma of life means quite purposefully, quite deliberately and intentionally and resourcefully that you and I look at things which we say there has to be much less of. The old language, of course, used, and it appears regularly enough in a text, the language of renunciation. The association in Buddhism, generally speaking, is a movement from householder's life to homeless uh, way of life, giving up of that to move into the homeless. But in a contemporary culture like ours, where we have a number of social freedoms, uh, so to speak, it requires, still requires the discipline. It still requires the, the Vinaya. And that discipline is the attending to any area of our life which we know easily moves into excess. And sometimes we can't see the importance of that, especially if that excess seems to bring pleasure and not pain, seems to bring satisfaction rather than uh, discontent. And so sometimes, which is, goes utterly against the Dharma of the Buddha, I hear, in, when there's a misunderstanding, that some people say, okay, it's okay to want what you want and to go for what you want, provided you're not attached to, getting what, to what you get, providing you're not attached to what you own or what you had. No, nowhere, in 20 volumes of the, uh, the bullet, for a minute, uh, w uh, whisper uh, uh, an approval to that kind of uh, uh, a view, a viewpoint. So in Dharma teachings and practices there, what we find, and what is important for us, and I you know, obviously mentioned this in the culture that we live in, is finding ways and means in our life that I think the core theme is not so much renunciation these, these days, but you and I finding ways and means to exercise and find the middle ground which genuinely shows in our life that there is a real honest moderation. A real honest moderation in terms of looking at what we want, in terms of what we have, in terms of the thoughts, ideas and relationship to things. That, that, that actually genuinely is present in our life. We're not, and therefore we are not committed to the expansion towards more, which I touched upon briefly a couple of nights ago with you. Sometimes it's not easy to see how that relates to well-being and health and, and harmony and, and, um, and inner peace. But it definitely has a very direct relationship to it. And so in some of the passages, I'll just take a uh, a little bit here for, for you to, to express. Where, um, um, this is um, in one of the uh, discourses in the middle-length middle sayings. Um, what, um, one understands that all material form consists of four elements. It's a sim simple thing, I had quoted this the other, the other night. All material form consists of the elements. How, how easily the movement of the mind is not seeing it in elemental terms, but seeing it in ownership terms, and seeing things in having terms. 
And therefore the discipline of the inner, inner life is making a very significant and substantial shift away from the whole idea of ownership. The whole idea of having possessions. And that inner shift, which is a very profound and emotionally and psychologically healthy shift, is one of moving, having a connection with, having an association with. But because once the, the, the language and, 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 and the mo emotion, and therefore the holding and the grasping enters into things, and therefore possession comes, with holding, with possession, comes fear. And then the fear generates more pressure, which creates the worry, which creates the distress, which creates the anxiety. But it's founded on an unquestioning assumption. And that unquestioning assumption is that I have something which might change, or which I might lose, or which might not be the same tomorrow, or whatever. And there is a holding and having mode in it. And one's constantly finding, through the thread of the teachings, the request, the injunction, the discipline, the practice, to look at any kind of holding, either to wanting, and all that goes along with it, or any holding in what has arrived, as a very direct contribution to inner well-being and breaking free from the imprisonment of it. In um, yesterday evening's um, 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 lovely talk by, uh, by, by Shada, I think it's going to become a minor legend, that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, 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 Sally uh, uh, thoughtfully suggested uh, afterwards that she's got... I think I, if I got it rightly, that she, uh, hearing that um, Shada had um, exercised the renunciation of several sheets of paper down to one sheet of paper uh, and I'm trusting uh, in that that I understand that she's going to recommend it to various teachers that she knows very well. <laughs> no names mentioned, though he's in the hall. And... Uh, <laughs> and so sometimes in our looking at, 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 um, uh, uh, at things. And as, as, as Shada said, if we live in that, what she referred to as the black box there, and I didn't quite understand the, 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 the dots. I was, what, 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 what. <laughs> but I'll, I'll listen to the tape. <laughs> and she mentioned those uh, the, the nine, I think it was nine, nine dots uh, there. And how we get bo bo boxed in to nine dots and we, and we forget, we neglect, in fact, in our life to look outside of those nine dots. And then I um, um, had a, a, a minor realisation um, afterwards and, and I do want to tell you it. If you live in these nine dots, it will drive you dotty. <laughs> This is the great revelation of my week's retreat. 
So sometimes we find ourselves, as was pointed out, in, in a kind of form, in a kind of world, and we keep kind of wanting to shuffle the world around, and, but not realizing that the movement and the shuffling that's going on is actually keeping us imprisoned. It's actually keeping us, and therefore we, sometimes we look and we, we say, to our, say to ourselves, gosh, before I was living in a, uh, like a, a, a budgerigard in a small cage, and sometimes my cage has expanded or whatever, but it still feels like I'm in a prison. I still feel uh, enclosed, and I don't genuinely feel awakened, and I don't genuinely feel uh, liberated. And perhaps, because when sometimes we're not looking outside of things fully enough. And attention, as was pointed out in the evening talk yesterday, really does need to be given to that. And one of the things in the teaching, not only about this holding and the I and my uh, feature that goes with it, and in the same piece the Buddha here refers to, he says, one understands all material forms just as, as element, one learned and one learns to not to tolerate and abandons wanting, negativity and uh, uh, cruelty. One shows restraint to the sense doors and to the greed and aversion that uh, arises in the mind. Um, one goes to the learned ones, that means men and women of practice, men, men and women have a noble understanding uh, of the Dharma and ask questions and delves into the meaning of of the Dharma and the discipline, such as um, I'm speaking about this uh, evening. One drinks the Dharma, one, one explores the Dharma, one makes the Dharma the center uh, of, of one's life. One looks to every feature of the Noble Eightfold Path, right understanding, right intention, and that we bring all of those features uh, into our life. We explore, he says, the four foundations of awareness, body, feelings, emotional life, thoughts, states of mind, and the Dharma itself. And one lives with moderation, and one main maintains kindness in this world. If you and I, just on those features, which is all the body of Dharma teachings, and say every one of those clearly matters, if I really apply everyone and really nourish and cultivate in my life, then out, out of that, one will come, as he says, to growth, increase, and fulfillment in the Dharma. And then just as naturally, he says, as the log in the, in the river, floating down the river, if it doesn't get stuck on the banks, he says, it must go to the ocean. It's nowhere else it can go. It will find its way to the ocean. And, and that is the wonderful promise and uh, potential for a human being and find, therefore, wonderful fulfillment. Sometimes, make a small um, um, uh, uh, adjustment, as I said, the very common factor in the field of areas of psychotherapy and uh, uh, other areas that you referred to do have an important and very supportive uh, part to play. And I know sometimes with the uh, humor and, and some people might say, well, if Shada is renouncing several pages of... Uh, of preparations for uh, talks and things. And a few people said to me, Christopher, I think you should prepare your talks. <laughs> that I think it would be a good idea if you wrote out 
the talks, you know, five or six pages and just read them out because then these one-liners wouldn't come out and, 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 <laughs> and, um, and people wouldn't give you a wide berth after the retreat. <laughs> but I'm too lazy. <laughs> So in the beginning of this book, um, the author's name is uh, Christopher Titmus. It's, uh, it's called Subliminal Free Advertising. And uh, so I wrote a piece. By my standards, it's remarkably restrained. And um, this, well, the rider editor did not demanded it. And um, I wrote a little bit, trying to give a little sense of the Buddha's uh, uh, Dharma and not wishing to be too overly protective of it, well, a bit maybe, and in that I say, sometimes, as we know, some people think of it of as, as religion, and I spoke with you about this at the beginning of the, of, of the retreat. Religion, I think, is what came uh, uh, late, later on. And then some people like to think of it as a philosophy, and therefore there is a huge rising, as the tradition has loved, views and opinions, but as I pointed out uh, here, uh, the Buddha questioned again and again um, views, opinions, intellectual cleverness and infatuation with ideas. Even though you know, in Western academia there's a growing interest in, in Buddhist worldview and, and, and that's certainly taking place. And then uh, um, I, I wrote, nor can the teachings fit into the field of... You may have to listen and watch your sensations when you listen to this. N nor can the teachings fit into the field of psychotherapy, which mostly, 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 <laughs> mostly relies on the exchange of language between therapist and client to understand certain features of the makeup of the personality. Mostly relying on certain features of the client to understand the, the, the makeup of the personality. Generally speaking, see, I'm covering my tracks. See. Generally <laughs> speaking, psychotherapy examines issues of self involved in relationship to matters past, present, or future. Psychotherapy explores our attitudes, certain states of mind and the impact of others upon our lives. And this is what I said the other day. A tradition that is barely a century old cannot expect to have the same depth of experience in realization as a tradition two and a half thousand years old triggered by a profound and unstoppable awakening. And so, putting that into uh, uh, the context here, Nevertheless, there are many places in the text where the Buddha truly is working and effectively uh, as in a kind of psychotherapy mode in which he is questioning, he is asking the questions, and he is listening to the responses, he is replying to them, and like psychotherapists, has one simple intention to resolve the suffering of the person as quickly as possible. 
And one of the things which he features and emphasizes so strongly, and, and, and so strongly that he put it in a very special significance and category. And, that, and the strength of it was, he said, there are three jewels, you know, in terms of metaphor for value, three jewels of existence. The great jewel, of course, is awakening itself. The second jewel is uh, the Dharma that points to awakening. And the third jewel is the Sangha, contact with like-minded people. And what that essential, that essential message that went out again and again and again and again, that men and women who are working together, cooperating together, sharing together, questioning together, it generates its own inner well-being and happiness. To actually do, to actually do that. And part of the problem of uh, the inner life, amongst the many, either relationship to oneself in the past, or oneself and others in the past, oneself in the present, or oneself and others in the present, or oneself and the future, or oneself and others in the future. That part of the problem of, of, of that, that sometimes, and some of you know so well, is that the self is still isolated in spite of the contact with the psychotherapist or whatever. And the Buddha says the Sangha, that like-minded men and women coming together, generates its own well-being. And there's one person who was telling me on the retreat, and I'm sure that some of you know this uh, for your own experience, that sometimes we have left a place where we had our friends, and we had our family, we had our kind of support network, and we've moved to a new place, a new country, or a new state, or a new city, and then the self has felt terribly isolated. And sometimes unexpectedly and painfully for a period of time, a week or a month or weeks or whatever it might be, feeling very depressed, feeling very, very unhappy and desperately missing loved ones, desperately missing friends and family and contacts and associations there. To put it in another way, missing the Sangha, missing people that one can connect and relate to. So that when we think of genuine health and inner life and happiness and, and well-being, I think sometimes, for the individual, we are actually asking too much of her or him to be able to handle, sometimes alone, all of her or his problems. And therefore, whatever it might be, the occasional meeting with somebody who can listen to us, or, or the occasional workshop, or, or whatever, that the contrast in the life is too big. Therefore, there's the isolation of the self, and the isolation of the self brings its unhappiness. Because it, it, there's something wrong about it. There's something false about it. There's something which is actually untrue to existence about the feeling of the isolated self. Because it isn't isolated in truth, and one knows it. We know that we are all together we know that we share the living earth together. We know that we are participating together in the field of existence. So that when we feel our loneliness and we feel our depression and we feel cut off and we feel rejected or whatever, naturally it generates the unhappiness because we know it should not be, and, and, and one is quite right to say, it should not be like this. 
Therefore, the Buddha says wisely and insightfully that the jewel of existence is Sangha. Company and contact with like-minded people that we can connect with. We did a poll in England a couple of years ago. And the you know, average is always a strange thing, but average person in Britain has less than two close friends. The criteria for close friendship Someone that one can talk to about anything in one's inner life. Talk about anything. And therefore many people don't have anybody or hardly anybody they can really feel that they can talk to. And we need, in our life, plenty of people. We need Sangha, we need that, that friendship, and as the Buddha said there, and that discipline of the Vinaya. Friendship which comes through the body, friendship which comes through the heart, friendship which comes through the mind, friendship which comes through speech. That has to be attended to. To find a real depth of happiness. And that needs a, an exploration. And perhaps it needs an exploration in the uh, psychotherapy community uh, as, as much as it does in the Dharma and the Sangha. Sometimes in all of this, questions arise as well in the teachings for uh, uh, enlightenment and for liberation. And a very important question which relates to this. And I know for a number of you who have perhaps been on retreat for the first time here, as well as a number of you who have had exposure to retreats uh, over the years. And the, one of the core simple questions and basic questions is, do I need a teacher? And I... Uh, here and other teachers here, and the thought arises many, many times um, in, in this particular area. And I would say the short and simple answer is yes. Short and simple. What that means in terms of one's uh, situation and uh, in, my, in uh, da our daily life, each person must look to herself or himself with regard to this. So there are some people who say, and will say, uh, yes, I have a teacher, and so-and-so uh, is my teacher. Others will say, I have a, a main uh, teacher, and this teacher I connect with the most, and, but I also see other uh, teachers as well, from same tradition or other traditions. Completely fine, of course. Some of you will say, um, I don't have a teacher or a main teacher, I have a number of teachers, I connect with those uh, teachers uh, regularly, also equally fine. There's nowhere in the text where there's any demand or request or expectation on the individual who, who truly is committed to the finding the fulfilment of Dharma to actually having just one teacher. Some teachers, of course, including the Buddhist tradition, as well as others, sometimes demand only stay with me. I think this is an excess of, of, of in, uh, a sad comment on a teacher who has to demand students to be with him or her. I think, it, I think it's something unsatisfactory about the influence. I think it's an it's a unwise use of uh, power, privilege and, and control. If a teacher is worth her or his metal, then the students will come regularly. Teachers shouldn't be saying only this and nothing else. It, it, to me, it smells of, of dogmatism and, and, and narrow-mindedness. 
And therefore we need to check in and to look to ourselves. And if one has a teacher, and some of you have t uh, teachers, some, and of course I and uh, Shada Sally are teachers for you during these days. But in that relationship of the teacher, one of the aspects of it, and it's said enough in the text here, is some kind of contact. That regularity of contact may be once a year. It may be every other year. It may, it may be once in every uh, three years. But the contact aspect of it, I would say, uh, is, is important with regard to this, as well as the indirect contacts which, through tapes and books and uh, 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 literature, etc. So that one is receiving and connecting with the regular flow of uh, uh, teaching. And to the credit, in our community, in our uh, network, teachers too do also benefit uh, from contact with other teachers and other traditions. And, and there's that important right which all of us endeavour to preserve, and that, uh, that is the essential core right in Dharma life of the freedom to explore. Sometimes people have given away that freedom. They just do one thing, never anything else, absolutely tight uh, around it, and when a person becomes tight around it, one of the curses of the Dharma life begins to arise. We end up sectarian. Only this, condemning, judging, putting down, uh, everything else, and we can't, uh, and we find ourselves not in a bigger cage, but actually shrinking in a smaller cage. Through the ironic situation of teachings of non-clinging, non-identification and non-holding end up as a teaching of identification with clinging to and holding on to. Oh, I, I mean, the Buddha would turn over in his grave he saw what's gone on with what he taught. So, it's a constant examination for ourselves and a constant questioning that's going on towards uh, uh, a liberated and free life. And as I say, one is in relationship to the material world, see things as material things. The second, and going along with that, of course, is genuine uh, uh, moderation, which is so important. The third is um, the acknowledgement and recognition of the, of the Sangha, and how we all genuinely can give real support uh, to each other. And, as I was um, um, mentioning uh, to, in terms of uh, teachings and practices, so that our life is not so much trying to fit it into our life, but our life fitting into the, in, into the, the Dharma way of living. In the looking at uh, all of this and uh, the uh, uh, exploration of all of this, sometimes it does mean genuine um, upheavals in one's life. And, and that isn't easy, to make it another British, Indian, English uh, understatement uh, there. But one of the things which is, genu is, is um, um, emer emerging, too, is that where people, families and partners and husbands and wives, and the exploration of all of these uh, uh, areas, are finding ways to give mutual support to each other. And I think one of the... Uh, features of that is the privilege that plenty of you in this hall have. The only reason you're here 
is because somebody else has said you can go and, uh, and given you support to go. And there are others, of course, who are here because um, your partners have been praying for you to go for a week. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and have, have had, a, had a week of ecstasy in your absence. <laughs> But nevertheless, either way, I, whether, whether they pushed you out of the front door or, or whether they uh, drove you here at breathnakes, breathtaking speed to drop you off or whatever, still there's expressions of support which are taking place to bring and to allow people to be, uh, to be here. And some, that period of time is extending itself as well. And one thinks of the sister centre of Insight Meditation Centre in Barry, Massachusetts, where people are doing three-month uh, retreats there uh, every year. That's only arising because of the tremendous cooperation of, of other people who help to make, allow and make that to happen. There's very few people who can do these things totally independent of the considerations of others. Others going further afield as well. India is an obvious example uh, of that. So in the movement that takes place for the depth of the inner work and for deep inquiry in, in, into oneself. Not only are we grateful and glad, as the Buddha said, for all that we're exposed to, but also for all the others who help make it possible for us. Everything keeps confirming interconnection. Everything keeps confirming the support. Everything keeps con confirming that one thing happens allow something else to happen. And sometimes, for some of you, that may well take some uh, discussion. How can I give support to others who is close to me? How can they give support to, to, to me? And it's part of the communication to keep nourishing a real depth. Because if we don't do it, if we don't explore, if we don't go deep, then we'll be subjected endlessly to the various tendencies of mind, and that subject into the various tendencies of mind, instead of contributing to the welfare of humanity, will actually be trapped in it. We'll be trapped in the exploitation of it, in the abuse of it, in the harm of it. And these are teachings of living a life with no wish to generate harm anywhere. To live a life with a core ethic of truly no wish to generate harm in this world. And it's an extraordinary hard thing to do, an extraordinary undertaking for men and women to say there's something important in that because as the Buddha said again and again, he said, just as I do not want to be hurt, just as I do not want to be harmed, just as I do not want to be subject to, to be abused, to be subject to cruelty, to be subject to rejection or aversion, Therefore, since I don't want to be, I don't want to put it out to others, because I know they don't want to be either. And therefore, the inquiry into oneself, the awarenesses and the meditation, is to break out of that mold, which is so brutal on our beautiful earth, and in a, in a way in which, in the factors and elements of, of life, what one sees is none other than oneself. What one sees in, in the face of human beings, their heart, their mind, their body, their humanity, 
their feelings, their experiences, is none other other than one's own. What would it be to wake up to that every day? What would it be to say, today, on this day of my life, I am going to treat everybody that I see in me in the same way that I would like to be treated. And sometimes, even in situations and um, um, where sometimes there's difficulties do, do arise, in, and, and my goodness, with somebody like, like Christopher, it's an, an invitation to it. So there's generally, most days of the week on retreat, people make a pilgrimage, not pilgrimage, that's it, march, protest, down to my room to tell me something they feel I ought to know. People forget. Everything they tell me, they're always right. Never so, with one person, somebody wrote, I think it was Vernon, I mean, it was here, in, in Budgaya. He wrote a, a note to me, and um, he said, is rudeness a factor of enlightenment? Naturally, I said, yes, of course. <laughs> and so somebody else comes in, why am I so rude? Or why am I so abrupt? Or why do I put out these one-liners? And I remember years ago when Shada and I were teaching with James, James Barras, who's a pillar of support here and the teachers. And I made a one-liner. I thought that CEOs meant chief ego officers. <laughs> and J- James looked so uncomfortable. I thought, why, why? He was sitting there looking rather restless. I see his shoulders rubbing up and down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he said, Christopher, there are CEOs sitting out there on this retreat. They are some of the important benefactors for the spirit rock. <laughs> someone else came to me and, and said, Christopher, why, 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 why do you say these things about movies? <laughs> there have been some very good movies, and, uh, and movies change people's lives. He didn't say whether it was for the better or the worse, but, he, but anyway, uh, etc. Et, et, et why do you say psychotherapy is new kid on the block? Or, 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 Etc. So every day people come and say, and and as one person said, they could feel. Somebody came today and said, with some of the things that I that I say, that that they said, if I remember rightly, you know, Christopher, if I if it was my first retreat, <laughs> and hearing some of the things that you say, you know, and I was feeling rather vulnerable. I could feel really, could really, feel really hurt and dis- and disturbed, and I could just give up seeing my psychotherapist the way you speak, or, <laughs> or, or, or whatever. And I, I said, despite the humour over the years, uh, or whatever about various things, Buddhism, you know, the, 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 you know. <laughs> 
Pe people get upset about this. Is a, another one. When I say the only reason that these are here is to remind people of a straight back, and there are people who say that Chris, you're so irreligious. It means a lot to me these statues, and why are you so rude, <laughs> yeah, etc. So well, many, many things. I'm very impersonal, I have to say, in that respect. But I say more, more, more in, in that. In a way, it's an element of trust. You know, part of the teaching in that, for some, there's ways of being direct or blunt or abrupt or what rude or whatever we might uh, call it. But one hopes that in the spirit of all of this, that in the listening to all of this, that we remember there's plenty of space between our ears, that what's useless, hopeless, pointless, or whatever, passes in the ear and out the, out the ear, and sometimes as well, hopefully, that things that we listen to, which are not very agreeable or whatever, that sometimes it may give us a little reflection to see, is there anything of value there? Is there anything of truth there? Is there any identification or holding? Am I, do I find, if I'm upset, do I attack back, i.e. Christopher? Do I get defensive about what I'm doing or whatever? And sometimes, very easily and humanly, we forget all, all of that and we get into a storyline based on what we just heard or whatever. It is important, and, and it's a very important feature for Shadra and I and the other teachers, that where there is things to be said, criticism, feedback or whatever, that the, as teachers, and I can say this 24 hours a day, we do try to make ourselves available. It wouldn't be quite appropriate as a Dharma teacher to come and then spill out our whatever it might be and then split on the first United plane back to London. But rather, making oneself accessible, so a person says, Christopher, I don't like this, I disagree with that, this, or that, that there is the voices there to help that happen and, and therefore availability matters as well as outside of the retreat through all the usual channels of correspondence. In other words, there's a dynamic process which is going on. That dynamic process is engages and brings all of this uh, 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 together. The agreeable and the disagreeable do have their place uh, in all of that, but hopefully, as I mentioned, the spirit of it all is a genuine contribution to really awakening our life and not to be shy nor afraid of uh, looking and questioning anything. And I think the spirit of that is, is just so important. And certainly having two very radical, three very radical teachers, one the Buddha, two Ajahn Dhammadro, and three Ajahn Buddhadasa, one is in that kind of lineage, in that kind of uh, 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 tradition there. And so sometimes in the monastery, when one said, well, there's no proof that the Buddha existed, why should I believe in that the Buddha ever existed? And monks who did their practice, seeing that there was questioning going on, and, and the abbot would say, sadhu, 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 well said, well said, well said. Why not question? Or another monk or a, a nun's questioning would say, you know, this whole idea of, 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 of rebirth. What can get reborn? Why should I have to believe in uh, rebirth, reincarnation? Sadhu, sadhu. N nothing held sacred. 
Even that the chanting in the monastery wasn't at all sacred in our, in our monastery. You know, the, the, the teacher said, we only have chanting in the monastery, it's supposed to be twice a day for the lay people so that we get fed. <laughs> and he refused to allow it twice a week. So it was, it was once a week on the moon day and so often the monks would be chanting because it was only done once a week or once every eight days it, it, and no, weren't allowed to use books so it would be forgotten. So when we get halfway through the chant and the monastery would forget it and then the monks and the nuns are all cracking up with laughter <laughs> there. Lay people around think, what the hell's going on in this monastery? <laughs> Except, and it was just regarded as good humour there and sometimes there'd be a bit of coughing and spluttering and then the abbot would, would try to get it going again and then we'd <laughs> finish it off on a quick sardou and go to bed <laughs> so the thing with the tradition is the long tradition over, 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 the, cent over, over the centuries in Terrific love of the Dharma, terrific pointing to liberation, terrific passion for the teachings and uh, the, the practice. Tons of humour and good spirit and, and, and human connection, real heartfulness that's going along with it. And there's a, there's a, there's a magnetism about it. There, there's a, there's a, a joy and a vitality uh, about it. And all of that is genuinely part of a huge healing process. A huge healing process and the kind of healing that can take place when lots of issues of life, the hurts, the pains, the wounds, the abuses and all the things that people are subject to, sometimes the healing process of the beauty of the Dharma and our participating in it, people get healed and feel well again through the Sangha, through the teachings and practices without ever working on a sp specific problem. Then it happens in a mysterious way. It happens outside that black box that Shada was referring to. It happens in a way which we can't comprehend. How is it that the sense of well-being and joy and freedom and the beautiful things of life have happened without me having to attend to a specific? It just happened. And one can't remember a moment or a location or a time on the retreat or in the situation, but one knew in the depth that one was well. One knew in the depth that one was okay. And therefore, it, it, it's, the, it's the beautiful form of genuine therapy for the whole person, for the whole being. And therefore, it's not surprising that in a lovely and sweet way, the Dharma of the teachings and the practices and the forms that we are doing. Many times I come and sit in here in the hall and I'm in my fifties, when I was a young man, 25 years of age, and the teacher was uh, same age as me now, mid-50s, and come in and I walk into the hall here and think, my goodness, you know, I can remember 30 years ago when I started coming into the hall, sitting, uh, listening, senior monks in the, f in, in the front row, less senior monks, junior monks, novices at the back, etc. And think, goodness me, the privilege of being in this situation giving the teachings, which 30 years ago, my teacher is still uh, alive, just 85 years of age, him doing it 30 years ago, he went back and back, and something about the form 
has stayed steady to sit on this earth and be present for it. To walk slowly on this earth and be present for it. To stand on this earth and be present for it. And all the insight and the love and the understanding which emerges out of the exposure in this kind of environment. So the tradition has said for over a hundred generations, that means 25 years a generation, two and a half thousand years, over a hundred generations, something goes on here which we just, our mind can't quite get round. And so sometimes in the evening, coming to give the evening talk, in the monastery, same time, used to come in to give the, the evening, evening talk. The difference between here and there was Asians have, have a different sense of timelessness. In other words, coming in, they would come in and sit. One never knew when the talk would finish. The record, I think, was about one o'clock in the morning. We didn't have the cushions. It was bamboo mats on a bamboo floor. Sitting there, we went, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, and monks would be turning around and looking, God, you're going on, isn't it? It's such a... Took no notice, carry on talking, etc. etc. Uh, et then we'd all crawl off to bed, etc. Then there's this huge bomb, literally empty bomb, hanging in the middle of the monastery there from a B-52, which fell out of an aeroplane in North Thailand, brought down on a truck to our monastery, hanging there, and then they'd come in the mo- four o'clock in the morning. Hey! <laughs> Hit the gong, oh God, it's another day. So sometimes in all, all of this, in the kind of the Dharma teachings pouring out, struggle with it, tension with it, strife with it, not knowing what on earth one was doing with it, etc. I hear the same voices in every retreat. Still, in all of that going on, yet people hanging with it, staying steady with it, and much depth which is happening. Therefore, one sees the real jewel of life is awakening, the Dharma is, is a jewel of life for awakening, the Sangha is a jewel of, of life for that awakening. And if you and I put that together uh, in life for each other, with each other, day in and day out, and, and, and actualize uh, all of that as much as we can, that we be truly for the welfare of one and all and for our beloved earth. May all beings love the Dharma. May all beings love the disciplines. May all beings live a free and joyful life. Have a quiet minute or two, shall we, please?